welcome to the podcast of Calvary Baptist Church of Taylorville, Illinois. I hope this podcast stirs your desire for the things of God, and we hope that your faith in Christ will grow like never before. Now let's get into the podcast. Amen. Good morning, church. Hey, you guys sat down a little too fast. I need you to stand up, and I need you to talk to your neighbor, and I need you to, I need you to, to be, no, not, not just randomly talk to your neighbor. Uh, there's a point to this. Uh, here's the thing. I want you to go to your neighbor, and I just want you to say, I want you to say to them, I want you to know that I'm a person under construction. Amen. To everyone, right? Everyone. I want you to know that I'm a person under construction. This is a one-of-a-kind sweatshirt, by the way. Uh, I don't know if this is Gucci, uh, Versucci, Vergacci. I don't know what this is. Uh, uh, it's custom-made, though, I can tell you. And there's a point behind it. You know, one of the things that I know about Christian community is we're all under construction. Amen? Amen. And I know that because we're all under construction, it would be better fitting for us if, if we, you were to come into this place and that you would just be given a hard hat and say, hey, I just want you to know that we're all under construction. Because wouldn't it be better if we did that? If we all came in with this understanding and this perspective, that way we don't expect somebody else to be perfect. Wouldn't that be great? If like we just came into this place and just acknowledged up front, hey, this is a hard hat area. I, I, maybe you need some steel toes. I'm probably going to step on your toes. You're going to step on my toes. But I love you anyway. We're going to work through this. We're going to forgive. We're going to be kind. We're going to be compassionate. We're going to do the opposite of what the world does. And instead, and just embrace the fact that we're all under construction. Because if you're to go into the New Testament and you were to see the early church, you would see that it's a church that was struggling for unity and not uniformity. And as a matter of fact, the Bible, I talked about this last week, the Bible promotes unity over uniformity. There was a time in the early church to where they were just trying to hold together and tried to hold together, and yet there was also an aspect of this that says, oh, you need to actually go backward into backward and into uh, basically to living a lifestyle as a Jew, you need to go backward before you go forward. And they said, no, 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 no. We're just going forward by grace. We're not living by the law. We're, we're actually, that, that Jesus fulfilled the law. So now we're actually going to be people of grace. And yet the reality is this, and it's illustrated very well with this hard hat, which fits very well, by the way. Uh, praise God, I've never had a job where I had to wear a hard hat like this. But Christian community is a construction zone. And we're all being spiritually reconstructed. We all are. It is a construction zone. And I bet the reason why maybe some of you have had bad church experiences is because you didn't have this mindset coming in. Or perhaps the reason why you had a bad church experience is because the people who were supposed to have figured it out hadn't figured it out yet. Perhaps you're the person at home right now. You're not even gathering at church, yet you're, you're, you call yourself a Christian. You're trying to grow in your faith, but yet you haven't found the courage to come inside the walls so you live in the comfort of your own home, and you just observe messages like this, and, and you do so, and you think, well, I just, I'm not ready to get into community. Maybe you, being at home, is the same as us right here. We need to acknowledge that we're all under construction. 
and acknowledge that, hey, with a sense of humility before God and before other people, we don't have it all figured out. Amen? And yet, the Bible is written with that in mind, that we're all people who don't have it figured out. People who've made mistakes and who've learned forgiveness and people coming to Christ and people with all sorts of backgrounds that are being uh, mentioned right here on this shirt. Because the truth is this, this is how we all come to Christ. This is how we all come in. We, we all do. We're going to see this in this passage. And I love how the Apostle Paul, to that, that audience and also to us, he just lays plain before us. He's like, this is how everyone at first, before they become citizens of the kingdom of God, this is how everyone lives in the world. And yet, the bottom line is this. Today, today, and every day, we need to do a couple things. We need to step away from our old life and step into living uh, your new life in Christ. So today and every day, there's, there's a reality who we used to be needs to meet the person of Jesus so that we can become the people that he wants us to be. So that's a work. That's a challenge. That's That's going to take effort. It's going to take forgiveness. I'm going to fail you. You're going to fail me. And we're going to move forward because that's what God wants us to do. This morning's passage is coming through uh, Ephesians 4, verse 17 through 32. This is a packed verse. There's so many packed uh, passages in Ephesians. And it's so so practical. You're going to see this today. As the Apostle Paul, he, he goes through and he... He spent the first three chapters explaining the people in Ephesus in a place that was very worldly, that, was, that had all sorts of uh, false gods and things that they did, false practices, things that were in opposition to God. And now these people are coming to faith in Christ. You had some Jews, you had some Greeks, and some Roman uh, mindseted people, and they're all coming together, and they're all forming this, this church in this community. And the Apostle Paul writes the letter, then after the church has existed for a little while, he writes this letter to remind them first in the first three chapters, this is who you are in Christ. This is your identity. But there's a transition in verse 4, or excuse me, chapter 4. The transition is, we are all on a collision course if we don't become one. And that's what he starts to embrace. And then he kind of changes the channel just a little bit, just just a little bit in chapter 6, which we're going to get to after the first of the year. But in verse 17, notice what he says. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Verse 20. You, however... Did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, incredibly practical things coming your way, starting in verse 25. 
Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others, building others up according to their needs, so that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. We're going to divide this passage up into three different, uh, three different sections right from this, uh, the passage itself. And the first one is this, if you're a note taker, take off the old you. Take off the old you. So a couple weeks ago, I had my 30-year class reunion. And, and I think there's no greater way to have a temptation is to have the reminder of the old you when you meet people who haven't seen you or talked to you in 30 years. And specifically, the people at my class reunion was before I gave my life to Christ because I, I gave my life to Christ at 21. So they knew me in one way. And some of them had heard some rumors about what I did and who I am and those kinds of things. But most of those people I haven't seen in 30 years. And there's, there's such a temptation in moments like that to think and live really small and to not be who it is that God wants you to be. Instead, just kind of like morph into the room like a chameleon and just kind of blend in, hoping that the time will pass quickly until you can get out of there. But it was amazing to me because I'm sitting there and, and I'm, I'm not really one for small talk as people in my life group found out this week. And so I'm not really one for small talk so much. So it's kind of a nightmare scenario for me. I'm sitting in this room that's really small with a lot of people and it's incredibly loud and small talk is loud talk, like it just is in this space. And so we're in there and, and just talking and, I, and at first I kind of fought the urge to kind of blend into the wall and I was like, no, 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 no. It's not, just, it's not just me. I'm not living up to, to what their expectation of, if, of them is for me. Instead, I'm living into the expectation that God has for me. So I went and I'm just, I, I embraced those difficult conversations, but there's no greater temptation when you get around people who you used to know and, and then to have a temptation to be reminded of the old you. But what I love about how the Apostle Paul embraces this, this old you, it's in a way to, to really connect all of us, those of us who aren't even Christians, in, in a way that he addresses this. Notice what he says. So I, so I insist, or excuse me, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. So he's saying to a Christian audience that there is a way that you used to live. And when he uses the term Gentiles, he's saying those who are far from God. Notice what he says next. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with the continual lust for more. I borrow a couple ideas here to help us really to be able to evangelize and share the good news of Jesus with lost friends and, and the first thing that 
that we clearly see in this passage is that Christians think differently than unsaved people. Christians think differently than unsaved people. Somebody who doesn't know Jesus and they're far from God, they're going to think differently than those of us who are near to God. It's because they're still darkened in their thinking. They're still dimmed in their thinking. Everything about their perspective, they have not been introduced to the light of Christ, so they still live in perpetual darkness. But notice this. That's all, uh, excuse me, that's where we all begin. We all begin in perpetual darkness. You weren't born saved. There was a moment in your life, if you've given your life to Jesus, there was the moment of your life where you turned your life over to Jesus. That's when you became saved. Before that, you were in perpetual darkness, just like everybody else who's lost in the world today. So for us, this is a great understanding, and this is a way for us to connect with other people. It also means, in a different perspective, the people far from God don't know what you do. That means they don't know what you do. That means they don't think like you do. And they won't act as you do. We can't expect unsaved people to act like saved people. That's not only unkind, that's actually cruel. When we put expectations, even within church, and we invite people into church, and then we expect unsafe people who are just inquisitive about faith to then act like Christians who've been Christians for 10, 20 years, five years, and, and we do that, we're not only being unkind, we're actually being cruel upon them because we're demanding something of them that even Jesus didn't demand upon his followers. Because Jesus didn't demand certain things on his followers. Instead, he challenged them to believe who he was. And after they became who, uh, believed who he was, then they had the Holy Spirit of God living within them. Jesus didn't just put more rules upon them. As a matter of fact, Jesus came into, into a, a world as, as a man where there were uh, the Pharisees, Sadducees, and religious, other religious leaders and scribes, the teachers of the law, who actually imposed laws upon the people in that time who were struggling to live of the, the Judaic faith. They were struggling to believe. And yet Jesus came in and he blew up all of those extra laws that were not actually laws of God. Those were laws of man. And when we put these types of laws upon other people, we become legalistic like the Pharisees did. And we actually go further in expectation than what Jesus did with his original followers. So... Where does this leave us? This leaves us with this. People far from God, they need our empathy, not our judgment. They need our empathy. And we can empathize with them because we too once lived in perpetual darkness, spiritual darkness. Had not been enlightened by the light of Christ. Had not been rejuvenated and born again by the Spirit of God. We, we once were right where they are so we can be empathetic as to their situation. And it means they need our empathy and not our judgment. We don't need to judge them for what they're doing in the world that they're living in because they simply don't know any better. As we go through, and I think about also how to, what this may mean of us as a church, not just as a church, as a body, but us as a bunch of individuals, the fellowship of difference that was illustrated last week with these marbles. What this means is we need to seek ways of radical hospitality. Radical hospitality. 
Inviting people not just into this room, but inviting people into our lives. Taking them to lunch or dinner. Having them in our homes. People who, who aren't even Christians yet, but who are maybe curious about the faith and they just want to know the difference that Jesus is making in your life. So maybe they will start to believe that Jesus can make a difference in theirs. They don't need our judgment. They need our empathy. And they also need our radical hospitality. John Stott, when he is uh, in his commentary in this particular passage, he said this, hardness of heart leads uh, leads first to darkness of mind, then to deadness of soul under the judgment of God, and finally a recklessness of life. And he's borrowing exactly from this particular passage that I just read, starting in verse 18. If you're taking notes, the first word there is obstinacy. And another way of of writing this, but I'm trying to be true to what he said, because these are four points that he drew from this passage. Another way of saying this is stubbornness. Or a hardness. But stubbornness is is the first thing that he notices here. And the Apostle Paul is, is mentioning in verse 18, he says, They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. So I'll just label these things the four stages of futile thinking. The first one is the stubbornness or obstinacy. The second stage is darkness. Notice what it says in verse 17. It says the futility of their minds. Futility it suggests two things primarily. A void of something that is a useful aim and void of a goal. These are people who are just operating in their life. They're not operating under uh, the, the perspective. There's no goal. There's no aim in life. They're just mindlessly just trying to make it through. This futility or this darkness has been described of somebody who's just dim in their thinking. And even Christians can do this can become very dim in their thinking. They just don't have the, the, the light like they maybe once did, or, or, or even if they're unsaved, they just don't have the light of Christ. They're not living as one who's informed by God's word, or have the, the knowledge of God. Instead, they're very dim in their thinking. They're, they're the people, they're in the same struggle, and they've been in the same struggle for a long time, and they're probably making excuses as to why they're still in the same struggle that they've been in for a long time. It's because they're dim in their thinking. So they have the same struggles, the same unbelief, the same sins, the same... uh, They find themselves in the same places with the same people creating the same problems over and over and over again. Maybe it's the same relational struggles. They've had shallow friends. They haven't had deep friends over a long amount of time. It's because they run them off because they're dim thinking. And they're in a bad place. And I can guarantee you that, that if, if someone is living like that, their broken way of thinking leads them to a broken way of living. Their broken way of, of thinking leads to a broken way of living. Because what you think through, you actually live out. Your heart and mind are so intricately connected and And then it feeds into that process 
uh, in your will and your disposition that feeds into what you do and how you live and the character that you have. Some of us have become very dim in our thinking just because maybe we had a struggle that happened years ago and we, we haven't allowed the Spirit of God to help us to, to overcome that struggle. Instead, we've embraced that struggle and maybe we just we like to be known as a victim because once we identify with that struggle, then we always have an excuse for why we're not moving forward in our faith. And I'll tell you right now, the culture validates you. If you want to be a victim... This is the culture for you. As a matter of fact, the culture that we live in, they just look for opportunities for people just to claim some sort of victim status so they can stay exactly where they are and they can find somebody to blame. Not so with Christ. Because we're not victims, we're actually victors because of our connection with Jesus Christ. So when we choose to live as a victim, we're actually denying the spirit of God that is in us, and we're actually doing what it says in the back part of this passage. We're actually grieving the spirit when we press into the old us instead of leaning towards the new us. Stage three is this, the death of judgment. Verse 18 says that they were alienated from their life with God, or from a life of God. This, as the passage says, it's, Uh, ignorance due to the hardening or the callousness of their hearts. A passage you can look into later that explains this further is Romans 1, 16 through 25. And there's, there's a lot of things there, but I'll just share one verse, and it's verse 22 of Romans 1. It says, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. They claimed to be informed, but they were actually foolish. They claimed to know God, but yet they actually didn't know God at all, or they're living as if they didn't know God. Or, or they, were, they, they would look upon the Bible, and they would, they would do maybe what uh, Thomas Jefferson did, where he actually looked at portions of the New Testament, and yet the things that he disagreed with, he actually cut out of the Bible, and it became the Jefferson Bible. That's true. Some of us live in the same way. We just we take the parts of the Bible that are uncomfortable to us or simply that we don't want to live under the, the, under the authority of God. Instead, we do in our minds the same thing that Jefferson did. We cut out those portions we, we disagree with so that we can live the life that we want instead of the life that God wants. Be careful if that's you. Because all these things lead to a sense and a life of the next stage, the final stage, and that's recklessness. Notice what it says in verse 19, having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. So this this is a reckless person. Their life is just littered with recklessness. Their relationships are broken. They may not know their kids or they're not, they're not connected to their parents and their siblings don't want anything to do with it anymore and they're living a reckless life and their life is, is simply like a tornado has just gone through and then everything, they are the tornado and as they just, you look at and observe what has happened, their life leaves nothing but wreckage. That's the sense of recklessness. We can become reckless when we become numb to the things of God. I'm somebody who, I like to train with barbells and dumbbells. And uh, when I go to the gym, that's, that's the, the method, really, of, of, 
of training that I like to do. So if you're to look at my hands, they're not very callous. Some of you are more callous than mine. Uh, I spend most of my days typing or writing, so uh, I, I understand the difference. But when I go to the gym, calluses uh, over time, whether it's by dumbbells, uh, barbells, or kettlebells, calluses form over time. And right now, I could, I could grab one of these calluses, and I can't even feel that particular part that's been worked over and over and over, that the, the metal has rubbed up against it. And if you have calluses on your hand, it's the exact same way. You know better than I do. And yet, this is a physical manifestation of something that can happen spiritually. We can be in our lives, we can be numb to the things of God for a bunch of different reasons. We can be numb to the things of God and we can actually sit in, in a seat that's comfortable to you, in a place that's comfortable to you, in the church that you know and love, next to the same people that you always do, and you can come in and hear the Bible preached over and over and over and be numb to the truth that's presented to you. That is going to lead to a reckless way of living. That's not me. That's not my opinion. That's the Bible. That's verse 19. Having lost all sensitivity, they had given themselves over to sensuality. In other words, what they thought felt good. If that isn't a picture of what's going on in the world we live in, I don't know what is. What's really tricky about this is... We tend to think in absolutes, and I believe in absolutes, but yet we tend to think everything is in absolutes, that everything's either black or white, or cardinals and cubs. Sensitive, I know, cub fans, sorry, you're with us this year. But we tend to think in absolutes, but yet there's, there are other things that are true too. Not everything is black and white. I'll say something that's troubling, and some of, some of you will think, why are you saying this? But in absolutes, we, we think that there's, there's no way that a serial killer could also be a good father. But they can. There's no way that, that you, may, you may say, well, he, he, or he or she is a really good boss, but they can be a lousy mother or father. Or a person can be generally nice and kind on the outside and be totally fallen spiritually. All of these things are true. But we tend to think in absolutes as everything's black and white, that, that if, they're, if they're one way here, they have to be one way there, and that's not the case because this word sensuality is in such a way that can be lived out in different aspects of our life. If we're numb to the things of God, we're going to be looking for other things to fulfill the void of God in our life. And more times than not, it's going to be something that the Bible calls Epicurean, and it's going to be something that has to do with sensuality. Doing something that makes you feel good. It could be a relationship. It could be a substance. It could be food. It could be money. It could be work. It could be a hobby. It could be buying things. It could be selling things. All of these things tend to make us feel good. Sensuality, by definition, is this. It's the enjoyment, expression, or pursuit of physical pleasure. And while the Bible does not prohibit pleasure, the Bible gives boundaries on our pleasure. Because if we simply live for pleasure's sake, 
we actually will not be fulfilled people. We'll not have the life that Jesus said that we could have when he said that he would offer life and life abundantly. You will not have abundant life by having the abundance of pleasure in your life. That pleasure needs boundaries. It needs moderation at times. If you want a biblical example of sensuality without restraint, look at David and Bathsheba. You could read that for yourself in 2 Samuel 11, where David is is comfortable and he's the king. And in the time when, when kings go to war, it says that specifically in that passage, in the time where kings go to war, right there at, at the beginning of chapter 11. David, he, he goes out and he's comfortable and he, he gets out of, his, out, of, out of reclining and just being in a comfortable place and he gets out and he looks out the window and he sees this woman, this married, this married woman bathing. And because of the sensuality that had taken over, that he was lusting after her, and he knew that he had to have her, and he actually did go, and he had, uh, had an adulterous relationship with this woman. One that grieved him, I mentioned the passage last week, that he, he actually writes how he feels after this failure as he's in this confession in Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. And you see that he makes this he makes this, this huge mistake because it's sensuality without restraint. Another example would be Genesis 18 and 19 in Sodom and Gomorrah. It was what they thought felt good, but there was no restraint. They were indulging in sexual practices outside of what the Bible says is good for humanity and outside of what actually God says is right. And it brought destruction on those people. And the same kind of struggles happen today. There's, uh, there's sensuality under restraint, under the authority of God, and that's marriage in the way that, that God defines marriage. We're going to see this in the next couple of weeks. You see, Song of Solomon, it's a short book in the Old Testament where it's a beautiful picture of human love and sexuality and intimacy and this passionate exchange between two married lovers. It's right in the Bible. But it's sensuality with restraint. Verse 20 in our original passage, Ephesians 4, says this. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. I've hoped to show you so far that your old self is the source of your conflict. That your old self is the source of your conflict. This is why Jesus said in in Luke 9, 23 and 24, he says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. So Jesus is saying there is, there is a part of us that must be denied because it does not honor God. There's a part of us that must be denied because it has fallen, because all of humanity has fallen. Genesis 3, total depravity is the theological term. We all are under sin. None of us at first are just like, just loving God. We're not born loving God. Instead, we're born hating God. We're born in a world that, that loves materialism. And loves consuming things. And there has to be a change that happens inside of us. The same change that Jesus talks about here. And why does he use the, this terminology of the cross? It's because the cross symbolizes a death. And it's a death to the old sin nature. The old you. 
putting it away for once and all. I love how the Apostle Paul makes reference to this, this taking off and putting on, taking off and putting on. It's, it's something that we can connect with because we're, we're used to, even in our custom, adapting our dress to changes of environment. Like for me, whenever I remember the last day um, that I was in the service before I was going on terminal leave, and I remember as I was leaving the base on that last day, I was so excited, I was finally done, but I remember literally like driving off the base and I'm taking my clothes off as I'm driving down 103rd Street. Okay, I had stuff on, but I'm just saying, that's what I was doing, I was taking that off, I could not wait to not be identified with. I'm not ashamed of the uniform that I wore. I love the country that God has put us in, and I think it's worth defending. But I can tell you, I was just so used to, I was like, no, I'm no longer identifying here. Now I'm a civilian. So I was taking off something, and I was, in essence, putting on something else, my civilian clothes, because that's a way of identifying me in a different way. It's the same way with with people in law enforcement. People in law enforcement, you have a uniform when you go to work, you take the uniform off when you go to work. It's the same thing if you work uh, at a factory. Many times they make you wear a uniform. When you, when you clock in, you have to have the uniform on. You could take the uniform off when you leave. I love how the Apostle Paul uses this terminology that's so easy for us to understand, which leads to the second part of this passage, to put on the new self. But first... We have to identify these things that have defined our lives for so long. You can't put on the new self while you also have on your old self. The old self that was identified by all these different things. These things which symbolize our depravity. These things which symbolize what we've done to ourselves and and how we victimized other people. These things that get in the way of our walk with God and these things that are not supposed to be defining our spiritual life anymore. So we put on the new self after taking off the old self. To be identified with the person you are now. So you put on the new self, verse 23. Let's read it together. To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So put on the new self. What's really sneaky is even after you put on the new self, there's going to be moments in time where you want to put on your old self. I had a conversation with uh, more an acquaintance than a friend years ago, and I was part of a community uh, that was people who had a, a known addiction, and they joined this community, and I was, I was kind of a mentor in this community. And uh, there was this, this community that, that I uh, had and formed, and, and I had one of my fellow brothers in Christ who knew that he was about to get into a situation that would cause him to, to revert back to his old way of living. And he knew. He was aware of it. He had put on the new self, but he identified the old self. So what he did was he went to the community and he said, Brothers, I need prayer. He said, Because I know 
that in the past, in a situation like this, I would be prone to use. I would be prone to to fall into that addiction that I used to struggle with. He says, so I know that that old me, I know how I get on track with that old me. He says, "But, but, but I'm the new me, and I need you to pray for me that God will protect me because I'm about to be in an environment that I used to fall. Well, I'm in the midst of. And you know, I was so encouraged when I got that message because I was encouraged that, that A, he's actually free, that he's put on the new, the new person, that he's free from the old person, but he also knew there were patterns in his life that led him to the old. Some of us, unfortunately, we're tempted to put on the old when we get even around family who doesn't recognize our change because of Christ. Sometimes, and there's nothing we can do about it because we need to honor our father and mother even if we disagree with them. We need to, to love people even if we disagree with them. Doesn't mean we need to like their lifestyle or like the choices they make, but we need to love them either way. And yet we're going to have situations to where we're going to be tempted to take off the new and to put on the old, and yet God says don't ever do that. Don't ever do that. Don't ever do that. In this passage, there's a, a mention in verse 25. It says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Have you realized that lies always cause more problems than the truth does? I have. I've noticed that. Lies always cause more problems than the truth does. There's somebody who was in the Old Testament who was a deceiver. He was a liar. And man, he was good at it. His name was Jacob. And the very name Jacob means deceiver or heel grabber because of his birthplace. But also means, it's also come to known, uh, be known as a deceiver. And he had a very... Uh, challenging way that he lived his life, and he did so many things wrong, but he did some things right, but uh, he, he basically tricked his brother out of his, out of his father's blessing and birthright, essentially robbed him right before his eyes, played upon his brother's weakness, and, he, and did what deceivers do, he took him in his moment of weakness and turned it for his good and manipulated him. That plagued his life for much of his life, but yet there was something that was amazing that happened in, in Genesis 32, 22 through 31. I'll read it. That night, Jacob got up and he went and took two of his wives, two maidservants with his 11 sons across the fort of the Jabuk. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. A man, a man wrestled with him, with Jacob, till daybreak. When the man saw that he could no Uh, that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he was wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God. He was given a new identity, a new name because he wrestled with God. 
And in the course of Jacob wrestling with God, he was actually wrestling with his old self. And the new name was what we would see in the New Testament of getting the new you. Because that informed his life the rest of the way through. My hope in sharing all these things with, with you is, is this, that a new life in Christ goes beyond theological concepts and it goes into experiential reality. Being a Christian doesn't mean that there's just certain things that you know or that you have certain answers that you have questions to. There's an experiential reality of living the life that God has for us. Last thing, if you're taking notes, last, uh, the way we'll outline this is what new life looks like. Verse 25 through 32, once again, therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we're all members of one body, and your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He has been stealing, he who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their deeds, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Spirit of God for whom you who are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. So what new life looks like, I've got six things to jot down right from this passage. These aren't going to be on the screen. I'll go through them quickly. So you know, in accordance with this passage, what new life in Christ looks like. It's not just some theological concept, but it's, it's, it's experiential reality. First thing that we could see in this passage is you need to speak the truth. You need to speak the truth. Speaking the truth is, is harder today, I think, than it was two years ago or three years ago. It just is. It seems like the opposition is growing and that doesn't mean that we need to shrink in our responsibilities. That means we need to speak the truth now like never before. Second, we need to work. We need to work. We need to work to the glory of God. And we need to be generous with what we earn. And young men, let me speak to you specifically. There's so much going on in the world today that just says you really don't have to work, that you can live a life that's about pleasure, it's about you. You can chase video games and girls or uh, all of these things and you can just live off the government. Those lies are everywhere. But that's not the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is this. There's a value to work. When you work to the glory of God, it does something fulfilling in you and it gives you a place to, to serve and to bless other people. Doesn't mean you don't get to enjoy some of your earnings. You, of course, you get to. But you can work to the glory of God. As a matter of fact, the Bible actually speaks against being slothful or being lazy. We need to work. Third, we need to encourage others with words. We need to encourage others with words. Don't shrink from those 
opportunities. Encourage others with words. Encouraging word can turn someone's life around. What I found is a bold truth doesn't turn a life around near like an encouraging word does. There's a place for bold truth, but don't mistake its place also for encouraging words. Third, be kind. After all, we're all under construction. Be compassionate is the next one. Be compassionate. You're going through something and they're going through something. Be understanding that that they're in a stage of mending too. Maybe they haven't quite taken off the old version of themselves, but they want to. Be compassionate that their spiritual journey is not the same as yours. And if you have somebody who offends you, and if you offend someone else, the sixth and final thing right from verse 32 is forgive. And if you choose to forgive up front, not after you've been offended, if you just choose to be a person who's going to be a forgiving person, it makes it so much easier. And there's so many There's so many things that you avoid and actually won't get under your skin because you decided up front that you're going to forgive just like Jesus forgave you. These six things have changed your life. This is what new life looks like. We're all under construction. Would you stand? God, I thank you for today. God, I thank you for hard-hitting truths. God, sometimes these truths, they, they taste like cotton candy and they're just, they're great. And, they're, and we love them like that. And sometimes truths are like a kick in the pants. But in the moment are not that pleasurable but in the end, that leads to a better life. And God, whether we've received it as cotton candy or we've received this as a kick in the pants, God, I pray that you'd be with us now. And Lord, for the the man, woman, boy, or girl who doesn't know you, God, I pray that you would just stir affections for you in their heart right now, that they would respond by coming forward to say, I need you, Jesus. Maybe they'd be honest to say, my, my old life is the only life that I've ever known. That is the life that I know. But I want a new life. God, you can change destinies today. You can change identities today. You, by the power of the Spirit, can, can peel off our old self and help us to embrace the new self. Defined by you. God, have your will and have your way today. Move in the way that you want. And for for the person who's struggling today, and maybe they just have just taken a deep breath because there's finally somebody who's explained their situation. I just want to say, God, praise you for speaking in a way that we understand. Amen.